we are talking hundreds of thousands to millions of animals every year. When the drug goes from being tested in animals to human clinical trials, about 95% of medicines are failing. That statistic comes from the United States Food and Drug Administration and the National Institutes of Health. And it's a huge problem. Well, hello there, and welcome to a very special bonus edition of the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen or a view or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. My friend, it is time to celebrate. Actually, we're here to celebrate our four-legged friends. Today, we are doing a special episode of the exam room to shine a spotlight on the animal testing process and one pharmaceutical company in particular that is helping us push hard for change. Recently, there was a congressional briefing here in Washington, D.C., where legislative staff members were updated on advancements in drug testing, advancements that would essentially eliminate the need for animal tests. And that is important to note because there are long-held requirements mandating that companies continue to use those old methods at the expense of animals. So today on the show, we will be joined by Elizabeth Baker. She is the Pharmaceutical Policy Director for the Physicians Committee, and she will be here to give us an update, give us the lowdown on that congressional briefing, as well as to share that story of the drug maker, that one drug maker that is putting their foot down to help animals, even at the expense of their own bottom line. And then stay tuned right after the interview for an exciting bit of news that just crossed the desk right here in the studio. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll. Doing things a little bit different today, instead of talking about nutrition and human health, we're going to be talking about animal welfare. And that is a big topic of discussion, especially when it comes to animal testing for drugs that will eventually be used for humans. And to help us break everything down that's going on, she is the Pharmaceutical Policy Program Director here at the Physicians Committee, Elizabeth Baker. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chuck. Really happy to have the opportunity to talk about this important issue with you. It really is an important issue, and there is so much going on with this right now. But let's kind of start from the beginning and rehash a little bit about why it is that we're talking about this today. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about the effectiveness of animal testing when it comes to drugs that will eventually be used in humans? And what's the history behind all of this? Yes, of course I can. So each new drug that is being investigated that is intended for human use first goes through extensive animal testing. And we are talking hundreds of thousands to millions of animals every year. A lot of different species of animals are used for drug testing, but the big four that we see most often are dogs, mice, rats, and monkeys. 
And, of course, you have the issue on ethics alone, that these animals are being poisoned, and then they're being killed to have their tissues assessed. But you also have the major issue um, that it is science that has been around for many years. We have a lot of methods that are based on human biology that exist today that can provide us better information, um, or at least if they're newer and haven't been fully evaluated, they have the potential to provide us better information because they're based on human biology, and we really need that. Increasingly, we are hearing from all the stakeholders involved in drug development that we need new methods that are human relevant because when the drug goes from being tested in animals to moving on into human clinical trials, about 95% of medicines are failing. And I'll say that again, 95% of medicines are failing after appearing safe and effective in animals. They move into human clinical trials and we lose those drugs because they're either unsafe for humans or they don't work for humans. And both of those are big issues for human patients who are waiting for medicines to treat their, their diseases. All right. So 95%, that's a heck of a number. The way that I would look at that is for every 100 drugs that were tried, only five of them actually wind uh, up working out in terms of human. Yeah. The other 95 wind up being completely irrelevant how long that's right that's that's insane to me yeah and it's a big problem and you know i i should say that 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 statistic comes from the united states food and drug administration and the national institutes of health and it's a huge problem because you have so it's a huge problem for you know all the different stakeholder groups you it's a problem for fda because fda um has a a mandate to protect human health and you would and part of that should be ensuring safe and effective medicines are accessible to people who need them it's a huge problem for industry the pharmaceutical industry loses so much money for every drug that fails if it's a smaller company they're likely to go out of business if it's a bigger company they they'll keep going but they've lost uh, millions to billions of dollars at that point um, and then, of course, the patient community are waiting for drugs that are safe and that will treat them. Um, and and many diseases just don't have those drugs available to them, I think, in big part because so much of the research that is done is uh, is on these methods that are very old and that are known to not be very good predictors for human outcomes. So let's kind of unpack that statement there. If the companies are losing millions, billions of dollars on these these tests, 95% of which wind up not working out, that cost then is then passed on to the patient. So you, I, anybody listening to this then winds up actually footing the bill for these failed tests, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it definitely contributes to drug pricing, which is a huge issue right now. So, and the other thing that you said there was that a lot of these tests have been around for a while. They're old. Why haven't they been able to keep up with modern scientific advances? Well, you know, I think there are many factors at play here. Um, it, you have policies that have been around 
for many years that, um, that really prioritize the animal tests. And so if we're talking about the Food and Drug Administration, um, FDA passes regulations, which are rules that are promulgated to help them carry out legislative mandates, and they are meant to be followed in drug development. And there are many FDA regulations that are actually mandating animal tests. So if you look at the face of the regulation, you'll see that word animal is used there. And it does not give flexibility for companies to use methods that are not, um, that do not rely on animals and that are instead based on human biology. And so while we have the science that is rapidly advancing, the regulations just haven't been updated yet. And so I think that's one major problem that needs to be addressed. The other is that um, the animal tests are just kind of accepted by default because they have been used for so many years and there's inertia to keep that going. So we need, what we need is an internal program with the Food and Drug Administration where companies can go to the agency, show that their method, um, well, work on evaluating that method with the FDA, show that it is indeed safe and that it is useful for regulatory decision-making. Um, and then at the end of that process, the FDA would communicate that that method can be used by drug sponsors without the need for additional evaluation data in animals. And so um, we think both of those are very important policy issues that should be addressed by the agency and that we think will be addressed. We just have to help, we have to, uh, prioritize that because there is a lot of momentum for change now at the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, the former commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, he prioritized a predictive toxicology roadmap, which is essentially a policy document. You can find it on um, online, just Google FDA predictive toxicology roadmap. And this roadmap lays out, well, first it acknowledges that the way drugs have been developed so far has not been ideal, that we really need to integrate new methods that are more predictive for, uh, for human outcomes. And it also affirms FDA's commitment to reducing animal testing. So we think that these issues very much could be implemented under the roadmap, and we have been working with FDA staff to make that happen. And FDA has heard from Congress on a couple of those issues too. But it's not just an issue at the Food and Drug Administration. There's also institutional inertia. So we see there are a lot of pharmaceutical companies now who are increasingly saying, you know, the regulations are a problem. They, uh, they, because the regulation says the animal test is needed, that's what we're going to provide. But the but to be fair, the pharmaceutical companies have a lot that would need to be changed internally too. So the inertia, of course, is set internally, and the programs are set up to do things in a certain way. Um, we do hear from a lot of pharma companies, a lot of staff at pharma companies who say, we want to do things differently, we want to get this going. Um, but these two issues kind of go hand in hand. You need the FDA moving and you need the pharmaceutical companies moving because 
uh, without the other, it's it's just kind of stands still. Um, and in the example of that is, uh, I, we've, I've t- spoken with many scientists at pharmaceutical companies who say it's really hard to advocate for the use of methods that don't rely on animals within their company while the policies at FDA still say you have to use the animals. So, um, you know, that's just one example, but there are many more. But the good news is there are people within FDA and within industry who want to see things done differently, and I just see more momentum for change now than ever. So that's really exciting. Well, you talk about some companies within the industry that are pushing for that change and and really trying to move the needle forward in terms of progress there. One of those particular companies is Vanda Pharmaceuticals, who recently just put their foot down when it came to one particular animal test here, and that led to a briefing all the way up on, on Capitol Hill. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening with Vanda? Yes, of course. I'm happy to. So Vanda Pharmaceuticals has taken a stand on animal testing for human drugs in a way that I have never seen before from a pharmaceutical company. Essentially, Vanda has a drug called Tridipotent. It um, is a potential treatment for several human conditions, including a serious chronic digestive disorder that affects about 6 million Americans, and it's associated with significant morbidity. Uh, This drug was acquired by Vanda Pharmaceuticals, and they began human clinical trials. Um, They got to a point where they had done the initial clinical trials. The drug was well tolerated, so they went back to the FDA saying, we want to move out beyond the three-month period of clinical trials. And FDA staff said, no, you can't do that because in the file, we don't have a nine-month chronic toxicity study in dogs. And this would mean that dozens and dozens of young beagles would be poisoned with the investigational medicine up to 400 times what a human would ever receive um, for nine months. And at the end of that study, the dogs would all be killed and their tissues would be assessed for toxicity. Uh, So Vanda did a scientific analysis. They decided that this nine-month toxicity study, based on the scientific literature, would not give them any more information for protecting humans than they already had. And so they went to FDA on a case-by-case basis, which is what, which is what FDA says you're to do um, if you, if you want to do something different than, than the norm. And FDA said, no, you have to provide it still, even though the scientific literature at, that Vanda has found says it's, it's unlike, very unlikely there would be any additional information found, and the drug was already well tolerated um, in humans. And so Vanda took a stand at this point. Uh, they said, this is a problem. FDA is asking for a test that would result in the death of dozens of beagle dogs, and it's unnecessary and it's ethically unjustifiable. And so they didn't do the study. FDA then put a partial clinical hold on 
studies with, for that drug, and Vanda then sued the FDA for judicial relief and and uh, and hope being able to proceed with clinical trials on the of, of the drug without having to do this nine month chronic toxicity study in dogs. And uh, one interesting thing about Vanda's position is that they the uh, the reasoning behind FDA saying that they need the nine-month non-rodent toxicity study is that um, it, it's in a guidance, an FDA guidance document that's non-binding. But Vanda's position is that FDA is using this non-binding guidance as though it's a regulation that had gone through notice and comment rulemaking where stakeholders would have the input, the, avail- uh, the opportunity to give input on this um, on, on this issue before it would become a regulation. So, so let's kind of recap what you just said there. Vanda was testing out a drug. They were ready to move forward with said drug, but the FDA said, no, no, you can't do that until you do a nine-month trial on beagle puppies, dozens of them. And the end result of that would be the dogs end up in death. But Vanda then, with that data, they're saying that it would largely be irrelevant and this test would be completely unnecessary. The FDA is saying, well, you still can't proceed without that because it's always been this way. This is the procedure. You just need to do it, even though it appears to be completely unnecessary. Yeah, well, while I cannot speak for the FDA, I believe that to be what has happened, kind of a checkbox um, situation. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Okay, so y- you mentioned a non-rodent study, and, and beagles, and you said uh, rats and mice, they're also popular, but do you know why beagles are, are used? I've always been curious about that one. Is it because they're, you know, basically... They don't cause a ruckus. They just kind of stand there and, you know, why beagles? Um, there's a few different reasons. One is that it's thought that they're easier to handle than some dogs. Um, they're fairly small, but not small enough, or not too small, uh, because the the medication that is, or the investigal, investigational medication that is given to animals is very, very expensive. So if you're testing in really large dogs, you'd be using you'd be using more medicine. So I think the size is one issue, and then also that it's thought that they are a, a bit more docile than some other um, animals as well. Gotcha. Okay. So now let's let's go back to this legal wrangling. All of these legal maneuvers that Vanda is using that's at their own cost. So they're not able to move forward with this drug and bring it to market and turn a profit until they can get this cleared, but they're taking a stand and that's hurting their bottom line. Is that accurate? Oh, yes, that's correct. So developmental delays for drugs are very costly to pharmaceutical companies down the line. It can be, uh, gosh, I I wish I remembered this statistic off the top of my head, but it's something like for each day delayed, of delayed market approval, it's it's over millions of dollars in, in lost um, finances. But also, when the drug was put on clinical hold, the company stock, I, I believe it halved, and they lost about $179 million. Now, the company believes that this is 
Um, it, these types of things happen when drugs are being developed, and, and of course, stocks go up and they go down. And so they believe that this will bounce back, and I, I believe that it will as well, provided that Vanda is able to move forward with the clinical trials. So this is kind of a, a very big risk that you're taking, you, uh, that Vanta is taking. You said you believe that the stock will rebound if they are able to move forward. And so we're kind of at the stalemate right now. But Elizabeth, I want to read to you an excerpt from an open letter that Vanda wrote to the FDA. And I mean, they did not really bite their tongue on this at all. They said, quote, the FDA has relied on industry complacency for too long. Vanda refuses to sacrifice young beagles or other animals in a study that serves no scientific purpose. Vanda believes that we all have an ethical responsibility to reduce, refine, and replace animal experimentation to the maximum extent possible. Further, mm -hmm. while the FDA purports to aspire to the same goals, its actions and its inflexible demand that companies conduct toxicity studies that have been shown to serve little scientific purpose suggest otherwise. Vanda is therefore standing up to the FDA and hopes that other scientists, drug companies, animal advocates, and the public will do the same. They did not hold back in that letter. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. That is is quite powerful. And this led to a briefing recently uh, on Capitol Hill, a congressional briefing that you attended. Can you talk to us a little bit about what happened there? Yes. So for congressional briefings, really the purpose of them is to educate congressional, the staffers of congressional offices um, on on issues that are are relevant to them and, and very important. And so uh, Vanna did hold a congressional briefing, and I was invited to come and speak, as was Kathleen Conley of Humane Society of the United States. And we spoke along with the uh, chief communications officer for Vanda Pharmaceuticals. I was uh, essentially Kathleen Conley of Humane Society of the United States talked about just some of the issues um, that are that come with using dogs in research and testing. I spoke about some of the specific work that we are doing to tackle the issue of animal testing for human drugs, both for dogs and for other species. And then, uh, then AJ from Vanda Pharmaceuticals talked about what was going on and, and the story of the drug, which is, is very similar to what I, I shared with you today. Um, and it was great. We had a lot of questions from the audience. And I think the key takeaway from that for me was that there is a lot of interest in our Congress, uh, by, and it's bipartisan, on moving the ball forward for animals, um, but also that there's a lot happening already, and there is momentum, and we need to build on it, especially now while we have a pharmaceutical company that's willing to take such a strong stance on the issue where other companies just have not done so before. 
And as you said, there's a, a lot of momentum building toward change here within the FDA, within the industry, so many other places. And just to kind of recap before we, we wrap things up here, Elizabeth, some of the victories earlier this year, uh, you see the Environmental Protection Agency, they come out, they say that they will be phasing out animal testing by the year 2035. That's huge. Yes, that that is just absolutely fabulous news. And that is something that has been... Uh, building for years, I think. Uh, we were, we did lobby for years on the Toxic Substances Control Act reform, and that resulted in the first piece of federal legislation in the U.S. requiring an agency to use and to develop uh, non-animal methods for assessing safety. I think that really helped lay the groundwork for this movement at the agency. We also have been working so closely with to provide training on non-animal methods for uh, for the regulators and for the regulated industry scientists. And so that was just you know really su- such great exciting news and. Vanda has called upon FDA in another letter to to follow suit with EPA. And the reason that we think it's so important is, uh, you know, a lot of people don't work toward a goal unless they have that goal. And so while it is nice to say that agencies are looking to reduce or replace animal testing wherever possible, when you have a a memo or a policy document that comes from the top of a federal agency stating as a bold goal, we want to replace animal testing by 2035 like EPA has, then you have EPA staff and strategy and resources that are then dedicated to doing that in a way that they just wouldn't be if you don't have that kind of bold goal. So we need to see that from FDA, too. There are a lot of people working for FDA who want to see reduction and replacement of animal testing uh, where available, but we haven't seen it as a bold goal coming from the very top. And so I, I think that's where we need to, we need to push, <clears throat> because if we want to see kind of, as, as Vanda had said in that quote from the open letter, if we really want to see this happen, then then FDA is going to really have to uh, set this type of goal and work toward it, um, rather than than just stating we have this goal and, and hoping that some of the work that they're doing um, does move in that direction. Sure. Um, and yeah. I I do think that's happening a bit now, but like I said, there are people in the agency who want to see it happen. So I I'm really hoping that. With this momentum of the other federal agencies, FDA will join, and we will be there to work with them to help support that um, every step of the way. And, you know, you you talk about the winds of change sometimes blowing slowly, but they are blowing in in the right direction more or less. And you go back to former former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. Um, He pointed to a study at one point, and it was a study that said that even when animal testing would still be required. Obviously, we want that to be eliminated altogether, but there are ways to do it that would be minimally invasive and would not end with the dogs being euthanized. As a matter of fact, the dogs would be able to be adopted after the research was completed. And, you know, I think that 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 personally for me would be a great first step, just a first step, 
but a, an important step as we move toward the complete and total elimination of animal testing, as we saw with the EPA. Sure. That, that would be part of these three R's of animal testing, which is reducing it where you can, refining the tests that are done, and that could include uh, where a test is not terminal, where you don't have to assess the tissues of the dead animal, where those animals could be adopted out. But ultimately, what we are pushing for and where our work is really focusing is on replacement of animal tests with new methods that are more predictive for humans. Uh, and, and the reason we do so, of course, is, is for the animals who would be tested on, but also for the human patients. There are better methods. We've got to keep innovation moving with human patients in mind. Um, and we've got to ensure that our policies, our, our, our policies and our educational practices and our training all incorporate these so that we can see more effective, safer medicines are available for patients who need them. And it sounds like a lot of the efforts that we've been doing here at the Physicians Committee have also been helpful. It's a lot of work and it's a long process, but you said that we spent a lot of time uh, lobbying with the Environmental Protection Agency, and that paid off earlier this year with their edict to eliminate animal testing by 2035. And so I think that it's important that if somebody's listening and they're wondering, well, how can I get involved? I think that a great easy first step would be to go ahead and support us in the lobbying efforts and a donation could go a long way to helping you and your team out huh yes absolutely uh this work is it, it is hard it at at times it can be incredibly frustrating because you so badly want to make these changes they take time they take money um but the momentum is there like i said it's there like i've never seen it before and so for someone who's been wanting to get involved or to support the work i think now is a better time than ever pcrm.org/donate is the place where you can go to do just that elizabeth baker thank you so very much for your time you have been very generous in shedding some light on this very important topic with us today you're so welcome. I'm really glad that I was able to chat about this, and I, I hope that people will um, will look up Band of Pharmaceuticals and, and follow the issue because it's just so important for drug development and for um, animal testing. That is definitely a story worth keeping an eye on as it continues to move forward. Now, at the top of the show, I mentioned that some exciting news just crossed the desk here. And that is that the U.S. Senate has unanimously passed a bipartisan piece of legislation aimed at cracking down on animal cruelty. This bill is an update to the Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Act, also known as PACT, and it would make certain acts of cruelty a federal crime. A felony, in fact. It centers on what is known as animal crushing. Now, it had already been illegal to create and share these videos, but now, if the president signs this bill into law, anyone who willingly and intentionally participates in these videos will also be subject to punishment. And if convicted, they could face up to seven years in prison, as well as steep fines. 
Democratic Senator Ted Deutsch, he's one of the bill's sponsors. In a statement released in October shortly after its passage in the House, he told ABC News, quote, This bill sends a clear message that our society does not accept cruelty against animals. We've received support from so many Americans across the country and across the political spectrum. I'm deeply thankful for all the advocates who helped us pass this bill. And Representative Vern Buchanan of Florida, a Republican, he added, quote, The torture of innocent animals is abhorrent and should be punished to the furthest extent of the law. We've linked off to the bill in full in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to look it over for yourself. And of course, this passage comes on the heels of the EPA's decision to eliminate chemical testing on mammals by the year 2035, just like Elizabeth and I were discussing. And there have been a number of major victories for animals this year, from tests to cruelty. Indeed, a lot of progress is being made, but we still have a long way to go. But as Elizabeth said, and as this bill showcases, there is still good reason to be optimistic. So let's celebrate this one. Let's take some time and celebrate it, but then get right back to work. And one of the ways that you can help is by subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast and wherever shows are available. Please give the show a five-star rating when you do, because that helps us reach as many people as possible with this information. It helps us rally support, because the more high ratings we receive, the higher we climb in the rankings. And the higher we climb in the rankings, the more eyes and the more ears will see and hear this show. And your help can go a long way toward helping us improve the lives of animals. And if you ever have a question that you'd like answered on the show, please do not hesitate to ask. We are on Twitter at Chuck Carroll WLC and at PCRM. You can also find us on Instagram again at Chuck Carroll WLC. And the show is a little bit different spelled out at Physicians Committee. Certainly, we would love to hear from you and try to answer those questions for you. But for today, that's about going to wrap it up. My thanks again to Elizabeth Baker for joining us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based. <laughs>